0: church family. As Mark said a moment ago, happy Independence Day weekend uh, to you all. Um, Thank you so much for letting me be away last weekend. I know uh, Pastor Jesse as well as Wes Holder who joined him on stage last weekend did a phenomenal job talking to you about the importance of evangelism and we're going to continue our theme of the best summer yet today. Uh, But last weekend obviously I was with our students And um, and one thing that I know that you celebrated a moment ago is six students made the decision to be baptized uh, while we were at student camp, but that's not all that decided to follow Jesus. We had others who have made the decision to follow Christ, who I hope we'll get to see baptized in the days ahead. But listen to this, do you realize that just over 50 people here at Eagles Landing have made decisions to follow Christ for the very first time in the month of June? That's phenomenal. And one of the things that we're teaching our staff, hopefully it'll bleed over into our whole church family, is one of the things that we don't want to be guilty of is just making converts. Though that is good, we are called to make disciples, right? Uh, so we want to see converts come to know Jesus and begin to follow him. But as disciples of Christ, we also want to see them connected to the life of the church and growing um, on really in their lives with Christ and then starting to make disciples of their own through their own witness and their proclamation of the gospel. So hopefully, that's how you can join us in prayer. We are praying specifically for the families or individuals of those 50 people that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, that they will get connected to the life of the church and then begin their own discipleship journey. And hopefully, we'll be able to celebrate in a year, maybe one of them in the baptism water with us, seeing one of their friends come to know Christ because they've been sharing the gospel of Jesus with them as well. So pray that with us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. And in the spirit of camp, one of the things that we did there while we were looking for the book or we arrived at the book is we said word when we arrived, okay? So for those of you who are at camp, when you get to the book of Galatians, say word. That way we'll know that you are there. Three of you. All right. So for the rest of you, you're going to join Awanus, All right. And we don't do that here, so you're going to have to find a church that doesn't want us. And I want you to learn your Bible drills, uh, so that way it'll only take you five or six seconds to arrive at the book that we say, too. Uh, book of Galatians, where we're going to be today, we're continuing the theme, The Best Summer Yet. What we've said is that we've been setting on this journey throughout the summer um, for you and I to develop rhythms in our lives um, that when we create these rhythms, they'll move us forward in our life as a disciple of Christ. We're just basically saying we want our relationship with Jesus to grow deeper, and there's some rhythms, some patterns that we need to develop in our lives to help us do just that. Um, So we've been walking through different rhythms that we can create uh, throughout the month of June, now into July. And then what I want you to know that's coming up is next week, next week, Pastor Chris Gaynor um, from Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, he's going to be here. Now listen, um, I want you to invite someone to be with you. Um, there are a few people that maybe you know, Chris is one that I know, um, that when when they speak, it's as if the Holy Spirit speaks right through them, okay? Chris is that kind of guy. Uh, so make sure you're here. We're going to be emphasizing the importance of prayer. Uh, don't don't let prayer bore you. Uh, prayer is the power source for us as believers, and I want you to be here for that. Uh, but Chris is also going to be leaving with us to go on our staff retreat. We leave next week, um, and he's going to be teaching our staff retreat uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday as well. So be here for that. And then the week following, we're going to have a church planter um, out of Redemption City Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Philip Smith will be here. We want you to get to know Philip. We want Philip to get to know you. That way, anytime you're passing through Greenville, you can stop through and see them and see the work that God is doing. We told you, what a little over a year ago now, that we have a goal of planting 300 churches in the next 30 years. And some of you... Um, Even leaders in our church gave me a hard time about that. Like, how in the world are we going to do that? And one of the things I kept trying to communicate is if if it was a God, if it's a man-sized vision, then we don't need God to fulfill it. Uh, But if it's a God-sized vision, we can't answer that question. We don't know how we're going to do that. We're just going to trust that the Spirit's going to work. And we're almost at 50 churches. So just know that God is starting to move in a powerful way in that way. And this is our partnerships with Uh, These people we brought in some of them last year we brought in some the year before and this year we're bringing in Philip Smith and then the following week in July we're going to have Carrie Phillips who's our Griffin campus pastor over in Griffin uh, because we want you to know we actually have another campus. And some of us forget that, that there's another campus reaching a whole other group of people over in Griffin. And Kerry's going to be here to kind of keep him in front of you um, so that you can be praying for him as well. Then I'll conclude July uh, with you. And then, on August 6th, a day that all of you should be waiting for, we're going to have the David Pollock here uh, sharing the Word of God with you and doing an interview. David was just laid off from ESPN. Super bummed about that. Uh, But he's vocal about his faith. He's a college game day voice. And just be praying for him and his family, and I'm excited about having him. So that's what the rest of the summer looks like. Cool? All right, so hopefully this will be an incredible summer for us all, but today, the topic that we're going to be talking about is freedom. Suitable for Independence Day weekend, we're gonna be talking about what it looks like to experience freedom in our individual lives. So here's where we're going today, all right? Freedom begins when we respond to God's call. To love and obey. I want to say that again. Freedom begins when we respond to God's call to love and to obey. See, freedom is one of the most abused words in all of Scripture. In fact, for many of you, maybe you walked in here today and you feel like on your spiritual journey that you're being held captive by maybe a sin of the past, maybe a sin of the present. But something may be paralyzing your ability to move forward in your spiritual journeys. Some of you, I rest assured, are are there in that season of life. You feel like on your spiritual journey, you're just spinning your tires. You're stuck in the mud. You can't get your feet out of that mud, you're literally like running a treadmill. You're exhausted because you're doing everything that you know to do, but you're not getting anywhere spiritually. And you feel like you're being held captive. You're in bondage in your own spiritual journey. And that's what freedom, that's what we want to do today. We want to help you take steps towards freedom in that. So when we relate biblical freedom with secular freedom, when we do that, it's a very dangerous place to be. And I believe that's what many of us do. Is when we think of freedom, we think of freedom in the context of the country we live in. That's secular freedom, American freedom. See, secular freedom is rooted in personal independence. It's when you and I gain some sort of personal independence, and all of a sudden, out of that personal independence, we develop phrases like, you do you. You just do you. I mean, you only get to live once. You live the life that you want to live, and you do it the way you want to do it, and you enjoy every minute, if not every second, of your life. In other words, we adopt this philosophy in the secular world that that bleeds into the church where I'm free to live my life really however I want to live it. And if anyone puts any boundaries around me, any borders around me, then I'm no longer free, I'm held captive. I'm held captive by those rules, by those boundaries that have been placed around me. We also have a philosophy that says I'm free to choose what's best for me, and you're free to choose what's best for you. That, that is literally the Western world right now, where everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. You know there's a whole book of Judges written about this, and that's where we're headed, Where you just do you, you live the way you want to live, I'll do me, I'll live the way I want to live, and as long as we don't affect or hurt or harm one another, then everything should be all right. That is purely secular freedom. It says, I have the ability to make my own decisions, to choose my own path, and to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it. That is secular freedom. Theologians call secular freedom outer freedom. Outer freedom, okay? Okay? But outer freedom is not what Jesus promises us. When Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 36 that if the Son sets you free, that you will be free indeed, he was not setting us free to do whatever we want to do. He was not setting us free to live whatever kind of life that we want to live. He was not setting us free to you do you type of lifestyle. Instead, he was setting us free to become who we were created to be. He was setting us free to live the lives that we were designed to live by him. And Claire mentioned this just a moment ago as a student. love seeing 18-year-old students profess this before they go off to college. Essentially what she just said is, I'm a worshiper of God first. The problem with me is sometimes other things become the object of my worship. And when that happens, I'm living essentially a sinful lifestyle. That I was created by God, designed by God, to live for him, to worship him. And when I don't do that, I am walking in a way that I was not designed to walk. I'm living in a way that I was not designed to live. So being set free is to become who we were created to be and to do what we were created to do by design within the context of biblical freedom. So that's called inner freedom. Okay, you got outer freedom, secular freedom, and you have inner freedom, that Jesus was promising us in John eight thirty six that the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So inner freedom is what we're going to refer to as biblical freedom. It's the ability to obey God. It's the ability to love God. And it's the ability to choose his will for our individual lives. And that's what we want you to experience and taste throughout this time together this morning. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When God created you and designed you for freedom, you're going to learn that Galatians hits his head dead on the head in just a moment. When he designed you that way, all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world, and it prevents you from living the way that you were designed to live. See, sin allows us or denies us the opportunity to live and to exist in the freedom that God has given us. Remember what God said or John says in John chapter 8 verse 34. He tells us that apart from God, when sin enters the world, when sin is in us, apart from God, he says we are slaves to sin. That's what he calls us. We're slaves to sin. And as a slave to sin, we exist under sin's rule. We exist under sin's reign. The power of sin controls us. We're not even capable of choosing what we want to choose because sin is choosing it for us. We're a slave. It's our master. In other words, it speaks, and we listen, and we obey it. So that's what the Bible tells us. So the question I want to put on the table this morning is how do we find freedom from sin's rule? I mean, how do you and I, if we're going to have our best summer yet, how do you and I find freedom from sin's reign in our individual lives? How do we no longer exist under the power and the weight of sin and start living the way that God has designed us to live, How do we escape the power and control of sin in our individual lives? And this brings me to the book of Galatians. That's what this book is all about. The entire book of Galatians is really centered around the verse that we're going to read today, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And What you need to re- remember before we read this verse is that Paul spends the first four chapters of this book reminding us of whose we are. We belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, he reminds us of who we are. We have a new identity in Christ, and we ought to live out of that new identity that is in him. So he reminds us that freedom comes through Jesus. It comes through the cross. And as we submit to Christ, what happens is sin begins to lose its power. As we begin to submit to Christ, what happens is all of a sudden our sinful ways begin to disintegrate. The power of Christ begins to take place. Over. So with that in mind, let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The first question that I'm asking myself when I read this text is, what has Christ set me free to do? And it says it right here, Paul does, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So when you read that, it seems really weird. You're telling me that I was set free for freedom. That makes no sense at all to me, right? Maybe you're thinking the same thing. That makes no sense to me either. So freedom for what? When Paul's talking about this, he's talking about the freedom to love. He's saying you were created and designed by God with the freedom to do what God has designed you to do. Namely here, Paul's talking about the freedom to love. Let me break this down for you. When you love to do something, You do not need to be commanded to do it. And that's what Paul was saying, is if we were free to love, we wouldn't have to be commanded to love. This is what Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, he referred to as the great dilemma of the great commandment. You know what the great commandment is? It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. It says this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And then he says in verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. The dilemma of the great commandment is that God is commanding us to do something by definition we really can't be commanded to do. Well, what do you mean, Trey? Because if we love something, then we don't need to be commanded to do it. If you and I love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, guess how we're gonna love not only him, but each other? We're gonna love him in the way that we were designed to love. We don't have to be commanded to do that. Because because if we love something, we don't need to be commanded to do it, but listen to this, and if we don't love it, then no command can change that. Let me give you an example. If you're here and you have a really weak stomach, This is where you take out your Walkman and put on your earphones, right? I don't even know who uses a Walkman anymore. Maybe your AirPods. Take out your AirPods. Okay, you're not going to want to listen to this or put your fingers in your ears. Um, I've actually let my nails grow out. I've never had nails all of my life, uh, but I've let them grow out. So now when I I touch anything, I get scratches on my face. So anyway, don't put your fingers in your ears if you have nails, because you'll be scratching your ear. Um, Side note, just giving that to you for free. Uh, But listen, if you have a weak stomach, you're not going to want to listen to this, okay? You and I, we do not need to be commanded to not go play in our vomit. Say we're all here, it's Easter Sunday, it's a packed house, and we're leaving the church, we're walking through the foyer, it gets a little tight right there, and you're all going out the door and someone just pukes all over the floor. Like nobody's going to need to command you not to go jump in it and start smearing it on each other. I'm just being honest, right? Like That's not gonna need to happen. Why? Because it's not within our nature to go and do that. We we don't need someone to command us to do something that we don't love to do. We don't enjoy that, we don't wanna do that, and we don't need a command to keep us away from it. Now think about this, it's July 4th week, On Tuesday, it's July 4th, many of you, you're going to be grilling out, and for some of you, you're going to grill ribs, you're going to grill brisket, you're going to grill burgers if you're a burger person, you're going to grill steak, maybe, you're going to grill something, and guess what? When that steak or those ribs are put in front of you, nobody's going to need to command you to eat them. Why? Because you probably love them, and if you love them, you're going to consume them because you want them and you, you love them, you get where I'm going with that. So I don't need to command you not to play and vomit because nobody wants to do that. And I don't need you to eat steak. I don't have to command you to eat steak because everyone wants, those who like steak and eat red meat, everyone wants to eat that, right? You get the point of the illustration. This is what's interesting. And you know what's sad? I literally was going to use the illustration of nobody has to command me to kiss my wife because I enjoy doing it, but she would be over there shaking her head. No, he doesn't. But... I'll kiss you right now. I'm just kidding. I can do that. That'd that'd be bad for all of you. But watch this. God's desire for your life and for my life is to transform our hearts so that we love him without being commanded to do so. That we just love him because of who he is and what he's done for us. That we love him without being commanded to do so. So when we love God like this, obeying the great commandment, it just becomes a freedom to us. We're, We're doing what we were designed to do. Let me give you a second picture of this, okay? Pretend you have an aquarium in your home. Okay, you got this aquarium. It's not salt water. It's a freshwater aquarium. You just got to keep it clean. You got these fish that are swimming around in the aquarium. All right? They were designed for water. They need the water to survive. But you took your net and you scooped one of those fish up. It was the first thing in the morning. You scooped it up, and you put that fish in the middle of your bed, and then you went on your way for the day, and you came back that night. Guess what happened to that fish? That fish is dead. But why? You just let that fish free. That fish existed in the context of a small, tight aquarium that was in your living room. You took it out of that, those four walls and put it in this great, big, beautiful space, And it actually ended not so well for the fish. Why? And you you think, well, that's because it's an aquarium. Okay, go to the lake. Cast your rod into the water and let a fish bite the end of that hook and reel it in and take that same fish and go put it on your mantle. Do it and come back five hours later and see what happens to that fish. One, it won't be on the mantle because it'll flop its way off, right? But it will probably be dead. It might look like freedom because he isn't confined to the borders of that lake. It might look like freedom because he's not confined to the walls of that aquarium, but it's not freedom at all because that's not how the fish was designed. And for you and I, sometimes we long for the walls of our lives to be removed. We long for the walls of our lives to be extended so that we can have more space to exist in and we think that's freedom, but sometimes that's not how we were designed to live. And if it's not how we were designed to live, then it's going to end badly for us, not good for us. So Paul says, this is exactly what the Galatians were doing. He says, these Galatian people, you were were threatened by these sins of your past, and when you start going back to those things, you're literally starting to function and operate in a way in which you weren't designed to function and operate. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, in faith, and do not go back to slavery. Here, Paul specifically talking about the law. Don't go back to the law. That's a military word, stand firm, to be alert, stand strong, and fight to stay in the faith. Don't miss Paul's point. Unless we are actively preaching the gospel to ourselves, we will be tempted to drift back into our old sinful ways. Let me say it this way, church family. Freedom from sin begins with a daily remembrance of the gospel. Freedom from sin begins with a daily remembrance of the gospel. When you and I are consumed with who Jesus is and what he's done for us, all of a sudden, the things of the world, they grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, when you and I let the cross of Christ loom large in our life, we quit chasing the fleeting pleasures of the world. It's just a natural byproduct of allowing Jesus to loom large in our lives. And that's what Paul was saying. These Galatians were tempted to drift back into a lifestyle that was Jesus plus tradition. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus plus something else for them to feel fulfilled and to feel satisfied. And you and I, we flirt around with the same temptations. It, it, Jesus plus marriage. Jesus plus relationship. Jesus plus a better paying job. Jesus plus a better house. Jesus plus a better car. That would truly fulfill me and satisfy me. And what Paul's point is in this text is you don't need Jesus plus anything to be fulfilled, that Jesus should be enough, and nothing else is needed, not only for your salvation, but also for your satisfaction. That's what Paul is approaching here in this text. He's saying these Galatians people, they, they bait their salvation on some tradition of their past, namely circumcision, and now all of a sudden, they were thinking, yeah, we got Jesus, but we also need to be circumcised. And before we point our fingers too harshly at these people, we have to think of the traditions that you and I think save us as well. Some of us, we come to church on Sunday morning, we think, oh, we got Jesus and we love Jesus, but all of a sudden, it's not the song choice that we like and we can't worship. Why? Because it's Jesus plus a certain style of music, that's what makes us satisfied. Well, at the end of the day, that's not how Jesus functions. Jesus doesn't have any rivals, and he shouldn't have any rivals in our Hearts, he alone should be worthy, and he alone is, is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. It doesn't matter if it's a contemporary song, if it's an old ancient hymn, at the end of the day, as long as it magnifies and exalts the name of Jesus, that's what we should be about. And I had a person tell me, I, by the way, I was this guy for a long, long time. I didn't start wearing jeans to church, so I went to Valdosta, George, and the first day I did it, I was like, oh man, I feel out of place. I am wearing jeans to church. I'm wearing a t-shirt today. I told my mom I almost wore shorts, that's because we're doing camp. But I didn't want you guys to be asking for my resignation, um, so I didn't. Uh, take notes from me, Corey. By the way, Corey has some uh, skinny jeans on me. I saw things getting tight around the ankles, so I like them. Um, but anyway, got to be relevant, got to be relevant. Uh, But but seriously, we do this in our own individual lives. We kind of sink back into our own traditions or wants or desires, and we think we have to have Jesus plus that in order to be satisfied and truly fulfilled. All right, I have spent way too much time on that. Um, Paul goes on to say in verses two to four, I'm going to summarize this because we don't have the time to cover it today, Uh, but he goes on to say essentially, when you start to creep back into that former lifestyle, he says you have severed your relationship with Christ. Those are the words he uses in verse three or four. You start start creeping back into that Jesus plus lifestyle, and you are severing. You're cutting off your relationship with your Messiah, your your Redeemer, your Rescuer. You're, You're putting a wedge, an unnecessary wedge between your relationship with him. And Paul warns them not to do that. And then he adds in verse five, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything but only faith working through love. What's Paul's point? He's saying you are free to love. That's what you're free to do. The gospel has set you free to do that. See, God's goal is to produce in us a new heart that loves the right things. God says that when you become a child of God, you become a new creation, and as a part of being a new creation, your old heart is exchanged with a new heart, and now you also have the Holy Spirit of God living and indwelling within you, and as a part of having that, you start chasing after the right things. He wants to construct in us a heart that steers clear from the vomit of sin and slavery, And all of a sudden, we're starting to chase hard after the stake of his grace and his love and his mercy and his goodness. And we can't get enough of that. That's what we do. This is what he talks about in Corinthians. He says, the love of Christ controls me. Everything I do, I do because the love of Christ controls me. And you know what he says it looks like to a watching world? He says it looks to them like I am operating out of my mind. Well, I am because I'm operating in the Spirit And when I I operate within the Spirit, it looks to a lot of people like I'm operating out of my mind. Follow me? That's what he's saying is happening through the Spirit within us. But listen, this kind of love is produced in us. Listen, because some of you are going to chase it. This kind of love is produced in you, not by what you are doing for him, but when you start resting in what Christ has already done for you. It's called the gospel. If you want to love like Jesus, you first have to fully receive and embrace the love of Jesus. You love because he first loved us. And the more we grow aware of the great love of God within us, the more we're able and capable and even competent to start loving other people the way that he first loved us. So we're free to love, but secondly, we're free to obey. We're free to obey. Not only are we free to love, but we're also free to obey. Now remember, obedience is a natural byproduct of devotion. You know this, right? I need, y'all to, I need y'all to embed this in your DNA, okay? Obedience is a natural byproduct of devotion. You obey me, why? Because you love me. Remember what John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will Obey me. Obedience is just a natural byproduct of your love and your devotion for Jesus. So we're free to obey. And I love what Paul says here in verse 7. Um, he's going to use a sport analogy, but this is what he says in verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Did, did you Here... here The Apostle Paul's heart, he's talking to these men and women who have now been saved by grace through faith, and he has talked to them about the unmeasurable riches of God and who he is and what he's done for them and what they have because of Christ Jesus. And then he looks at them in verse 5, and he is like, but you're, you're starting to go back to some of those old sins that you were chasing. You're starting to think that Jesus is not enough for you. You're starting to think that you need something else with, a, with Jesus, Jesus with a little bit of extra sprinkled on top to fulfill you and to satisfy you. And this is what he does as a shepherd to them. He looks at him and he says, man, you were running your race so well. What has hindered you from running the way that you were running the past year, the past two years, the past three years? What, what has impeded your progress on your spiritual journey and has caused you to not be running so well anymore? What, what, this word literally actually translates, what has impeded your lane? Like you were running in your lane as a runner and something all of a sudden has come into your lane and has impeded your progress. We were at camp and one of the things they do at camp is they have wreck days. And uh, they go in the afternoon and they compete against each other. One day it's just like relay races and the next day it's a bunch of water games. But you have all these relay races that are happening. And here's the goal. you got this goal that's before you. The first one to get to the back doors and back is the winner. Okay, let's just assume that's what it is. So two people are going to race to the back doors. And what happens is as they're racing, all of a sudden one of them starts to get into another one's lane. And when it, when that happens... My view of my goal is obstructed because I'm looking at you coming into my lane and bumping into me. And then also, we're now on the ground and we're no longer running the race that we were called to run. This is the same thing that happens in our spiritual lives. You and I were designed to be on a spiritual journey with God, to run a race chasing hard after Him. But what happens is sometimes we flirt around with the sins of our past, and before we know it, our, our view of God has now become obstructed. We can't see him as clearly as we once did. And all of a sudden, someone has entered our lane or something has entered our lane, and before we know it, we're not even running anymore. We're trampling on each other on the ground. And this reminds me that not only does my sin affect me, but it also affects the people that are around me because when I start to indulge in it, I affect the person that's in the lane next to me. And then they start to indulge in it and affect the person next to them. Before you know it, the whole race is a disqualification because everyone's on the ground and nobody's actually running. And that's what we have to be careful not to actually do here. Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is his way of saying, a little hair ruins the whole cheeseburger, right? (laughs) I was an 18-year-old college student. I'll never forget it. High school. High school. And I went to McDonald's and opened it up. I love a lot of ketchup, right? And I was putting it on my burger and opened it up and there was a little fly right there stuck in the cheese. I didn't eat that burger. I didn't pick the fly off and was like, oh, it's just a little protein or put it back on. You, know, I didn't do any of that. I literally didn't eat the burger. I took it back and got a new burger. And some of you would do the same if you found a little piece of hair on your food, right? A little hair, a little fly, it ruins the whole cheeseburger. Let me say it like this. If you are going to dab your toe in the water of disobedience, then you will eventually jump in the pool. You hear that? Students, don't forget this. If you're going your to dab your toe in the pool of disobedience, you will eventually jump in the whole pool. I-, I love, Pastor Eli brought this up. I've mentioned this to y'all before too, but I love it because it's just a subtle reminder to me every time I read it. But in Genesis, you remember how God told Adam, really Adam, <laughs> Um, and Adam was supposed to tell Eve. But God told Adam, hey, you can, have, you can eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden, but you just can't eat of the fruit that's on the tree in the center of the garden. Stay away from it. Okay, and then later on when they fall, what does God ask them? Who told them they, they could eat or whatever, not eat or whatever? And what happens? He says, well, Adam told me that we could eat from the tree, but he also adds this phrase, or not to even touch it. And God didn't actually say that. God never told Adam that they couldn't actually touch the fruit, but here's what Adam knew. Adam knew as he talked to Eve, listen, if you're going to go and flirt around the tree with the fruit that's on it and you're going to hang out and touch it, you're probably going to consume it. You're probably going to eat it. So that was his way of preparing her heart not to, to be near the tree and to consume it. And the same thing is true for us. If we're going to hang out of the pool of disobedience, we're eventually going to be swimming in it. And what happens is when we have a relationship with Jesus, let's just face the facts. A relationship with Jesus, we think, is supposed to be full of fun and delight. And in all honesty, it's, a pull, it's usually a life full of suffering. There's a lot of suffering that goes into the life of Christ. And we identify with him through that suffering. It's not always plush and everything that we wanted it to be. And when we evaluate these two potential lives that we can live, a life with Jesus that looks like it's in the desert, it looks like it's hot, it looks like it's bad, or the life of sin that looks like it's, you know, delightful because it looks like a resort and it has a pool and all of my friends are hanging out there. Guess which one we choose? I'd just rather stay here at the resort than staying out by the pool with my friends. And before you know it, you're swimming in the same disobedience that they are when Jesus calls us to a life that's contrary to everything that the world teaches you and I. If you're going to dab your toe in the water of disobedience, you will eventually jump into the whole pool. Paul's point here is that the gospel frees you and I to obey. My last thing I want to share with you Joyful obedience is the only faithful response to the gospel. Joyful obedience is the only faithful response to the gospel. See, this is the difference between law and grace. This is the difference between religion and the gospel, which is the whole argument that Paul's making in the book of Galatians. Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God. That's what religion says that God is a means to a greater end. If I obey him, then life will be better and it will be more abundant. The gospel says I obey God to get God alone. The real thing that you and I should be chasing is not the things that God can offer us, it's to be chasing the God who saved us. And the sad reality is, is many of us are lured away by religion rather than staying faithful to the gospel. And it's the gospel, not religion, that sets us free. Two simple rhythms that you can develop to walk in the freedom that God promises you. Rhythm number one, develop a rhythm of loving God. Develop a rhythm of loving God. I didn't say develop a a rhythm of loving the things of God. Develop a rhythm of loving God. Chase the blesser, not the blessing. Enthrone him in your life and prioritize him and his people in everything that you do. So this summer, if you want this summer to be the best summer yet, develop a rhythm, first, of loving God. Second, develop a rhythm of obeying God. Develop a rhythm of obeying God. Find delight and satisfaction, not in the things of this world. Find delight and satisfaction in your obedience to him. And you're not obeying because you want to see what you can get, you want to obey because you just want to get to know him better. And when that happens, you will experience freedom that the gospel of Jesus Christ promises us. I love how he ends. He tells us not to submit again to the yoke of slavery. You know what that word yoke is? They put a yoke, a heavy tool, on, on the back of an animal. The whole goal was to restrain the animal. You had animals that were unrestrained by anything that were wild and they were trying to get them to accomplish a specific task, so they put this yoke on them to restrain them. And Paul was saying, listen, when you go live the ways that you're not supposed to live, when you add anything to the gospel other than Jesus and Jesus alone, when you're seeking satisfaction and fulfillment from anything other than Christ alone, man, you are placing, you are living your life first as an unrestrained animal, and you're placing an unnecessary heavy yoke on your back trying to carry it. He says, you don't need that if you're in Christ. He says, because in Christ we have a whole new way of living. Jesus says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls in me. Why? For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let the only thing that restrains your wild heart be the gospel of Jesus, and don't let a thing in this world lure you away. That's the goal to experiencing the freedom that God has promised you and I through His Word.